encourage you to take out your Bible. Turn over to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be talking about a mother's love today. So we think of the life of a young man, Timothy, and how his grandmother and mother influenced his life in a fantastic way. But first, we want to honor all our mothers. So here's we're going to do something a little different. So if you're a mom, please remain seated. But everyone else, please stand together. Let's all stand. The mothers remain seated. Let's give them a round of applause. All right. All right, you may be seated. Well, on this day that we honor mothers, it's good for us to think about how much you really do. Being a mother is not a walk in the park. Do you realize by the time a child reaches the age of 18 that a mother has to handle some extra 18,000 hours of child-generated work? In fact, women who've never had children enjoy the equivalent of an extra three months a year in leisure time. So we know how important and how how time-sensitive it is to have children. I love this little story. A junior high science teacher lectured on the properties of magnets for an entire class period. The next day, he gave his students a quiz, and the quiz said this. The first question read, my name begins with an M, has six letters, and I pick things up. Who am I or what am I? Half the kids put mother on the quiz <laughs> instead of magnets. That reminds me of the father who was trying to explain the concept of marriage to his four-year-old daughter. And he got out the wedding album and he walked through the service and the day and everything else. And then he stopped and said, do you have any questions? And the little girl pointed at the picture of the wedding party and said, Daddy, is that when Mommy came to work for us? <laughs> Perspective of a little child, right? Ralph Waldo Emerson said, men are what their mothers make them. An old Spanish proverb says, an ounce of mother is worth a pound of clergy. You've probably heard this one before from Abraham Lincoln, no man is poor who has a godly mother. There's some great portraits of motherhood in scripture. I love the picture of the mother Moses who cared so much for her son that she broke the laws. They wanted to kill all the male Hebrew children. And she you know, put him in a basket and was found by Pharaoh's daughter. But she wanted him to live so she could teach the principles of God's word to him and then eventually became the deliverer of their people. Or think of the mother of James and John who loved her boys so much that she wanted him to sit by the Lord's side in the heavenly kingdom. And the mother of King Lemuel who gave some advice to her son about godly living and how to pick a good godly wife in Proverbs 31. So I'm aware that Mother's Day is a difficult time for some of you women. Maybe you want to be a mother, but you can't be for some reason. Perhaps some of you have not had the best mother in the world. Some of you have had your mothers pass away. Some of you mothers have lost a child or a grandchild to death. Some of you mothers feel the pain of a wayward child this Mother's Day. And some of you are flying solo as you work hard to nurture your child's faith. So this morning, I want to begin by giving you a thesis. A mother can make a significant impact spiritually on her children with or without out the help of a father. Now, we know it's God's design and plan and strong desires to have a mom and a dad for every child. But we see from Scripture there are those instances where a single mom has made a 
tremendous influence on her children. And so we want to just give a little background as we look at 2 Timothy 3 in just a moment. We can kind of do a modern-day little background, fill in a few blanks maybe. We don't know exactly the whole story of Lois and Eunice and Timothy, but Eunice was a young woman. She was raised in a religious home and was greatly impacted by her mother, Lois. She loved to learn the stories from the Bible when she was young, and she enjoyed going to services where she could learn about God. As she approached her teenage years, she was still focused on spiritual matters, but she became attracted to a man and gave her heart to someone that it appears didn't have a lot of interest in spiritual things. She, being a Jew, married this guy who was a Greek against the best wishes of her godly mom. So don't get me wrong, he was a nice guy, but he didn't seem to have an interest in spiritual things, and at least that's how it appears, since his spiritual influence isn't mentioned in this story. After a couple years of marriage, Eunice and her husband had a baby boy named Timothy, and in the meantime, Eunice's dad had died, so they asked her mother, Lois, to come and live with them. And little Timothy was a delight to everyone. Both his mother and grandmother spent hours with him, teaching him the stories from the Old Testament, praying with him and for him, and training him in the things of God. Now, she didn't have veggie tails or a wand at her disposal, but they created a spiritual environment where young Timothy could flourish. Then one day, a preacher named Paul came to their town of Lystra, spoke about a man named Jesus. Both Lois and Eunice listened intently. They saw in Jesus the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament that they'd been reading about and studying for years, and they placed their faith and trust in Christ. And it's interesting that these new believers in turn focus on teaching Timothy all about who Jesus was. And we know from reading from the book of Acts that Paul himself took a personal interest in Timothy when he became a teenager and partnering with his mother and grandmother led him as well to saving faith. Later, Paul and Timothy partnered together in ministry as the gospel continues to spread throughout the region. And many years later, while Paul's in prison awaiting his execution, he writes two letters to young Timothy. These letters contain some teaching about how Timothy should behave as a young pastor, a church leader. And also, many years later, while Paul's in prison awaiting his execution, he writes these two letters, First and Second Timothy, to help Timothy as he continues on to pastor after he passes on from this life. So Timothy, in this section we're going to read, reflects on his mothers who made an impact in his life. With that as a background, I'm going to draw from three different passages of Scripture this morning, two of which are found in Paul's second letter to Timothy. The purpose is to show how a mother and a grandmother can make a spiritual impact on her child with or without the help of a father. The power of this message is found in a mother and her mother's love for Timothy, the ultimate love to pour into them spiritually. So take your Bible, if you have it open, 2 Timothy 3. Look at verse 10, if you would. We'll read verses 10 through 15. You, however, have followed my teaching, speaking to Timothy, my conduct, my aim in faith, my life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Verse 11, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
Verse 13, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. And we pray as we open it that your Holy Spirit would do his work in our lives, that you would help us to understand it, help us to internalize it and apply it to our lives. You know the needs of everyone in this room and we pray that you will uh, use your word to meet those needs, comfort, encourage, convict, bless, challenge, whatever it may be. We thank you for the power of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your outline, the first thing you would see here is instill a respect for Scripture. Today, this is a sermon of remembering or reminding. Or for me, like I need some of these basic things to pull me back away from distractions. I'm sure many of you know these points, but are how well are we doing them? The first thing we see is that Lois and Eunice instilled a deep respect for God's Word. The first thing we see under there is to stand strong in the truth instilled in you. To stand strong in the truth instilled in you. In 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul reminds Timothy that everyone who wants to live a godly life will face persecution. None of us want to sign up for that when we come to faith in Christ, but it's a reality. If Jesus was persecuted, he said, you will be persecuted as well. And Paul's telling young Timothy that there'll be many people who will come in Jesus' name and in the name of other gods to try to distort the truth and lead you and others away. He says, don't be discouraged. Don't be deceived. Stand strong in the truth instilled in you. Second of all, stand strong in the truth based on the examples of godly women in your life. In verse 14, Paul urges Timothy to hang tough when the tough times come. Why? Look what he says in this text. But as for you, continue what you've learned and become convinced of. Why? Because you know those from who you learned it. You saw it lived out. You saw parents or or mother and grandmother who uh, wanted to have authentic, true faith. And they were learners of the word. And Timothy not only learned things cognitively, but he made a practice of owning what he studied by being convinced of its truthfulness. He just didn't fill his head with truth and knowledge, but he internalized it, and then he lived it out. I think Timothy did this because he saw it modeled in his mother and in his grandmother, and then Paul later on himself. And 2 Timothy 3.15 shows us what this truth was and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. In the manner of devout Israelites, Grandma Lois and Mother Eunice taught the Holy Scriptures to Timothy from the very beginning. The word infancy in some passages refers to a newborn baby or a toddler. And Lois and Eunice teamed up to provide high-powered, kind of like Bible study fellowship classes for young Timothy, even before he could crawl. They read to him. They talked to him about Samson and Samuel and David and Ruth and Abraham and Noah They did everything they could to provide Timothy with the opportunity to learn all he could about the Old Testament. 
In essence, they lived out the commands of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Deuteronomy 6, 4 is the Shema. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. These two mothers had God's word in their hearts. And because they internalized these truths into their own lives, because of that, they can impress it upon young Timothy by talking about it throughout their daily routines. Showing Timothy how scriptures impact every area of life. Teaching him that the truth, the scripture, has all the answers to life's problems and circumstances that he will face. Ron Hutchcraft this week in his devotional on Thursday had this little anecdote I want to share with you. Quote from Ron Hutchcraft, a word with you. They call it the terrible twos, remember? Because of the new challenges a toddler presents when they hit that two-year mark and they issue their first declaration of independence. Now, I remember when our granddaughter, he said, was two years old and doing human terribles. Maybe because there was a lot more terrific twos. Now, one exciting thing was an incredible word explosion she had. Sometimes she seemed to not only know the words, but even some very important meanings behind the words. She was known to sit down next to her dad with her Bible open while he was reading his Bible as well. And she could say the word Bible, but more and more when she picked up her Bible, she said two words that she knew well went together, Bible, Jesus, Bible, Jesus. Mothers, it's never too early to start teaching the Bible to your children. It's never too late to start if you haven't already. There's nothing that can replace your role in your child's life. God wants to use you to instill within your children a deep respect for the word of God. Thankfully, you don't have to do this all by yourself. That's what's exciting about our church, that we have a solid Bible-based Sunday school program and children's church for our children, for an Awana program on Wednesday nights through most of the year that's based on scripture memorization and a student ministry for our teenagers that teaches the word of God in a way that teenagers can understand and embrace. The church is here to come alongside and support what you're teaching at home about God to your family. These resource tools are available to help you make a spiritual impact in the lives of your kids and your grandkids and don't sell these opportunities short. There's a story about four scholars, Bible scholars that got together and they were discussing Bible translations. One said he preferred the King James Version because of its beauty and its eloquent, eloquent English. Another said he liked the New American Standard Version for its literalism and how it moves the reader from passage to passage with a confident feeling of accuracy from the original text. The third scholar was sold on the New Living Translation for its use of contemporary phrases and idioms that captured the meaning of difficult ideas. And after being quiet for a moment, the fourth scholar admitted, I have personally preferred my mother's translation of the Bible. When the other scholars started laughing, he said, yes, she translated the scriptures, My mom translated each page of the Bible into life. It's the most convincing translation I have ever read. So as an application here today, as moms and dads, I encourage you to keep finding creative ways and teachable moments 
to intentionally instill godly truths and the scripture into your children's lives. There's so many ways to do that. Just walking along and seeing God's beautiful creation, you could comment that it's always created by God and talk about his design and his beautiful handiwork. And we could go on and on. But knowing, kids knowing that in the backdrop of your life that God is there and that you're thinking about him really gets internally into their hearts. Second point we see today, Eunice and Lois instilled a real life faith into young Timothy. They instilled an authentic faith. Second main point, authentic faith. In 2 Timothy 1.5, you can flip back a couple chapters or look on the screen, but 2 Timothy 1.5 says, I am reminded, Paul said, of your sincere faith, Timothy, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. The second way to make an impact in the lives of your children is by instilling within them faith that is real, a faith that can stand the test of hard times, of temptations, of disappointments, difficult circumstances, and even blessings. There's a verse in Proverbs where the writer writes, God, don't make me too rich or too poor, lest I forget who you are. See, even blessings can cause us to uh, turn away from God, depend on ourselves, let our pride creep in. So we see in 2 Timothy 1.5, again, I've reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you. Make sure the faith of your child or your children is their own is their own. That's huge. And that's hard to do. And sometimes it's hard to measure whether it is or isn't. But even though Lois and Eunice were believers, Timothy needed to come to a point which, in which he put his faith in Christ. Faith is not hereditary, but learned. Listen very carefully, because God does not have grandchildren. Okay? God does not have grandchildren. Just because you are born into a Christian family every person still has to come to a place where they see themselves as a sinner, see their need of a savior, see the need to repent of their sin, to turn away from their sin, to embrace the finished work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection and trust him to be their personal savior. God only has children. And so at the same time, when mothers model genuine faith, an environment is set up whereby children will be motivated to want that same kind of authentic faith. The word sincere related to faith means that it was unhypocritical. It was real without any pretense or false facade. Faith had come and taken up residence in Timothy's mother's heart and his grandmother's heart and was now alive in his own life. These two mothers were completely sold out to Christ. They were drop dead serious about their faith. They were fully devoted and completely committed and Timothy knew it. No one knows better than a child whether their mother or father are genuine and authentic in their faith or not. Another thing to think about is make sure your child or children understand that through the good and the bad times of life that Jesus is worth staying faithful to. In this age of people straying away into other false teachings, in this age of deconstructionism where you have ex-evangelicals, we're seeing that because they don't really think Jesus is worth it to follow through. 
Notice the chain here, Lois to Eunice to Timothy. Again, we don't read of a grandfather or father anywhere in this equation. That's not to say that a father's not important. He certainly is. But what I'm saying is a mother can make a significant spiritual impact on her children with or without the help of a father. And moms, if you want to instill authentic faith in your children, then you better take your faith seriously. If you're just going through the motions spiritually, your kids will eventually see through it and tragically may do the same thing when they are older. As you demonstrate your faith consistently by reading the Bible and praying and attending worship and bringing your kids to programs that help them grow spiritually and by participating in the life and mission of the church, you will send a strong, strong godly message to your children. There's a story about a pastor and he had a conversation with a young man and he was trying to encourage him to become a member of his church. And when he was done, the young man said he was ready to join. And the pastor was curious. He says, well, what was it that I said that persuaded you to want to become a member? He said, it was nothing I heard you say. It was the way that my mother lived her life. That I need to be part of a fellowship, a community of believers for myself. So as I think about the kind of faith that was passed on from a mother to a mother to a son, I'm convinced that a mother like this has to be more interested in having her children know the Bible than be able to speak another language before they are five years of age. A godly mother is more interested in her children's souls than in their bodies or their clothes. A godly mother is more interested in her children's eternal life than the success in this life. A godly mother's more interested in her children's relationship with Jesus than how popular they are in the world. A godly mother knows her children will stand before God and wants that standing to be in right relationship with God more than their social status in this world. She wants to know her children's uh, spirituality rather than their intellectual, academic, musical, and athletic accomplishments. She wants to put the spiritual life first. And while it isn't in the text, a mother who passes along a faith that's authentic is without a doubt a praying woman. Any home in which faith is passed on from generation to generation has to be a home of prayer. One cannot imagine Lois not praying for Eunice or Eunice not praying for Timothy. We read in Acts 12, 12, that the mother of John Mark opened her home for a prayer meeting. You might remember that Peter was in prison and he was sleeping there. And of course, we know he was praying, but people were praying at the home of John Mark. And then the angels came and released Peter out into the streets and he ran to the house of Mary. It says in Acts 12, 2, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and they were praying. Here's a mom that opened her house for prayer. In Acts 1.14, Mary, the mother of Jesus, joined together constantly in prayer with the disciples. That's the hallmark of a godly mother. In Acts 1.14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So Timothy's family environment was rich with spiritual nutrients that spurred on his faith development. Both his mother and his grandmother held their faith deeply and shared it freely. And here's the question, how fertile is the environment in your family for the reproduction and the nurturing of authentic faith in the lives of your children and your grandchildren? Mothers, are you passing on 
a legacy of authentic faith to your kids? That's something we need to be asking ourselves constantly. How do we deal with conflict? How do we deal in a godly way with those things? How do we deal with difficult circumstances when the finances are not going well? And all these issues that we see come in and out of our lives, how do we deal with it from a biblical perspective? We have watching eyes and ears of our kids and our grandkids seeing how we're going to respond. So our application here is moms and dads continue to model consistency and honesty in your walk with Christ. It's not wrong to tell your kids if they ask you a Bible question, you don't know the answer, but we'll go figure it out. It's good when parents do something wrong and against offending their kid and respectfully go and ask them to forgive them. That builds respect in the family relationship. So we have to be consistent. We have to be honest in our walk with Christ. Last this morning, as we think of instilling a spiritual legacy in our kids, and for those of you who are grandmothers, grandkids, instill a desire to serve others. It's important to pour into them the word of God. It's important for them to have their authentic faith, but then we're commanded, as we'll see, to give back to others and to serve God in ministering to other people. So your kids need to learn at an early age to try different ways to serve and discover their spiritual gifts. We as parents and grandparents need to provide different experiences in their life to help our kids discover God's purpose and their passion in life that God created them for. That's why it's good. I know my wife and I, when our kids were small, we got them involved in swim lessons. They got involved in sports, volleyball, basketball, soccer, baseball, softball for my daughter to try different things out, music, drama, all these things. And you figure out over time, hey, what they're interested in, what they're good at, and what their strengths are in life. And that's part of raising your children and understanding God's purpose and plan and passion for their life. After Paul preached in Lystra and Timothy was converted, Paul returned a short while later, and we read in Acts 16, Verses 1 through 3, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, Timothy's hometown. A disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that Timothy's father was a Greek. I see three qualities in Timothy that were no doubt passed down from his mother and his grandmother. First of all, you see strong believer, strong believer. Timothy is referred to here as a disciple. Luke, the author of Acts, could have referred to him as a believer or a Christ follower, but he chose to call him a disciple. A disciple is a learner and a follower. A disciple was one who was serious about Christ, not just going through the motions. As we've already established, his mother modeled this type of authentic, no-holds-barred kind of faith. Strong believer. Second of all, good reputation. It says he was well thought of by the spiritual people in that area. People knew Timothy as a man of integrity and as a man of the word. He was rock solid. Again, this had a lot to do with the model of his mother and his grandmother. Strong believer, good reputation, he was available. He was available. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. As you continue to read the book of Acts, you'll see that Timothy was eager to minister. 
He knew it meant leaving home, and he knew it meant facing hardship. Friends, there's no way this kind of commitment to ministry develops if it wasn't encouraged and learned at home. And when Paul stopped in Lystra for the second time, he enlisted Timothy to be his special assistant to replace John Mark after the big split that we saw earlier with Paul and Barnabas. Paul refers to Timothy as a beloved son in 1 Corinthians 4. In 1 Timothy 1, Paul calls him his son in the faith. In Philippians 2.20, Paul can't think of anyone like Timothy when he writes, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Paul thought very highly of Timothy and could not wait to unleash him for ministry. Mothers, part of your job is to instill a respect for the Bible. Another responsibility is to instill an authentic faith. But these two elements are only preliminary for the most important job you have in that of instilling within your child a desire to serve others using their spiritual gifts and talents. Our kids are to learn the Bible and grow in their faith so they can become different makers, difference makers in our society, so they can share their faith with others, so they can minister in the church and in the school, so they can serve those who are hurting. Excuse me, so some can serve as missionaries. So they can identify their spiritual gifts and use them on a regular basis. The truth of the matter is this, we are saved in order to serve. We're disciples so we can disciple others. We're equipped so we can evangelize. We're sanctified and set apart so we can be sent into a lost and dying world. Susanna Wesley, think about this, mother of 17 children. Talk about someone who needed a nap, right? Two of which were John and Charles Wesley. John Wesley, you know, is the founder of the Methodist Church. And so Susanna Wesley would spend one hour each day praying for all of her 17 children. In addition, she took each child aside for a full hour each week to discuss spiritual matters. No wonder her children were used of God to bring blessing to all of England and much of America. And I came across these parenting guidelines that she used, that she wrote down that helped her as a mother. First of all, subdue self-will in a child and thus work together with God to save his soul. Second of all, teach the child to pray as soon as he can speak. Thirdly, give the child nothing he cries for and only what is good for him if he asks for it politely. Three more, to prevent lying, punish no fault, which is freely confessed, but never allow rebellious, sinful act to go unnoticed. Commend and reward good behavior. And another one, strictly observe all promises you've made to your child. Some good guidelines from a godly mother. So here's the application is moms and dads, model serving and serve alongside your children so they see it as a normal part of their life. There have been parents who've taken their whole family on short-term missions trips or daughters or sons to spend time with them in that ministry environment. There's times that we see parents bring their kids like to work day here or to other things to serve, to go out and hand out these VBS door hangers. 
There's opportunities to work alongside and serving and them seeing how to serve God. It's so important. So as mothers, you can make a significant spiritual impact in your family with or without the help of a father. And you do that by instilling a respect for scripture, an authentic faith, and a desire to serve others. Here's our key thought. We honor and applaud our moms and grandmothers for the spiritual vitality and positive values they instill in our children and the legacy for generations to come. N.K. Jameson said this, a mother can be glorious or terrible, benevolent or filled with wrath, but she commands love either way. And he said, I'm convinced that this is the greatest power in the universe, in the universe to love our moms. Let's have all of our moms, if you would, to please stand at this time. And I want to pray for you just before we go to our last song. All our mothers, let's stand. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these amazing women here that are in our sanctuary. We thank you for their desire to be moms, first of all. And as they've had their children, we thank you for their desire to raise them up, to not only be good citizens in our society and to be responsible, but most importantly, to be godly and to be able to have a persevering faith that will endure through temptations, through disappointments, through hard times, through times of even extreme blessing to not get ahead too big and realize that everything comes from God. Lord, we thank you for our moms today. We thank you for their investment and their continued investment in the lives of their kids, their grandkids, and even great-grandchildren for some. Continue to bless them, minister to them, and help them to have discernment, understanding the culture around us and what they can do to provide creative and teachable ways to help grow the kids in their sphere of influence. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand now for our final song.